Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Stephen Siegel. And today on New Books in Literature and New Books in Eastern European Studies, my guest is Alta Ifland, who has written a novel called The Wife Who Wasn't, and it is published by New Europe Books 2021. Alta, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hi, Stephen, and thank you for having me. So um, a little bit about uh, Alta Ivland. She was born and grew up in communist Romania and came as a political refugee to the United States in 1991. And after a PhD in French language and literature, she taught for a brief period in academia, then started to work as a book reviewer, a writer in her third language, English, and an occasional literary translator from and into Romanian, French, and English. She is the author of two collections of prose poems, Voix de Glace, Voice of Ice, bilingual and self-translated from French, and two books of short stories, Elegy for a Fabulous World and Death in a Box. I should also mention that uh, she has translated a new book, which is uh, called The Dark Room by uh, Marguerite Duras. This is a translation from French with Irene Neeland. So uh, welcome, Alta, and thanks for joining us again on the podcast. I would just really love to start by asking you if you could tell our audience about your your journey to the United States, and, and then from there we'll, we'll go into why you wrote the book. Oh, so uh, um, basically I came here in 1991. Um, communism fell... Um, I mean, I hope people remember in, um, in 1989, um, I think the Berlin Wall was uh, November 1989, and then the Romanian anti-communist revolution started in December 1989. And um, uh, like all Romanians who lived, in, well, not all Romanians, actually, but like some Romanians who lived in Romania at the time I participated in the anti-communist revolution, uh, but at the time, I already had um, applied for um, for a visa to come to the United States because my then husband was a dissident, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, because of you know bureaucracy, we got the visa as political refugees. We got it when the communist regime is actually no longer in place. So um, I came here as a political refugee in 1991. Mm-hmm. And. Um- Let's let's actually start with the novel. So, would you mind reading um, from the wife who wasn't, just so that we can set the tone together? Okay, so um, I think I will read um, a part in which I describe one of the main characters, uh, Serioja, who is uh, a Russian Moldovan, and he is the brother of the main character Tanya. And this describes his relationship with his mother Olga. After Tanya's departure, Serioja felt obliged, him being the only male in the family and his niece now motherless, to move in with the two women who needed to be taken care of. True, his taking care of them was rather counterintuitive, in that he was rarely home, and when he was, he slept on the living room couch, sending shockwaves through the delicate china on the nearby glass shelves with his Pantagruelian snoring, and suffusing the atmosphere with such a strong alcoholic cloud that Olga and Irina felt dizzy each time they entered the room. This can't go on, both women said to each other and to the guilty party. Yet it did. Every time he came home in that state, that is, every time he came home, which sometimes happened three days after he'd left to visit with some friends or run some errands in the neighborhood, Olga greeted him with the same 
interminable list of complaints that went back all the way to his childhood when he was already displaying signs, which alas, she had ignored, of him being a bad seed, a bad seed that had turned into a rotten, foul, venom-infested trunk, a drunk's trunk, that is. The woman unearthed events Serioja had long forgotten. Oh, she had a gift for digging things up and pulling them out until everything, including what had never occurred, was out in the open. And she held them in front of his nose, asking him to repent for his past misdeeds, repeating once again with the pleasure a martyr takes in self-flagellation that he'd send her to an early grave. But if there was a martyr, it was certainly him. He who had to put up with the unstoppable blather of two insane women. His niece, too, had her moments. And during the first hour after his return home, he behaved just like a martyr, not saying anything, only moving slowly, careful not to throw up on the Persian rug, thinned with ears and discolored as it was, fixing a point in space with glassy bloodshot eyes until under the flood of words that would not stop, he'd yell, Shut up, you crazy old woman! Shut up! And then... She would shut up. Startled, she'd cross herself and take the girl as her witness to what she had to put up with. But after a minute of silence, she'd start again, full of renewed zeal. Did he think she could be intimidated by a good-for-nothing little worm? Oh, she'd seen much worse in her life. And if she couldn't change the way things stood, she could, at least, tell him where he stood in her eyes because a mother owed it to a son to let him know that he was a miserable, good-for-nothing, creeping worm who'd do the world a big favor if he put a rope around his neck and just got it over with. As for herself, the biggest regret of her life was that, hard as she had tried to get rid of him while she was pregnant, she had kept, he had kept hanging on for dear life. He was stubborn even then and, against all odds, was born with all ten fingers and apparently a brain, though now she doubted he had one. With that, she would leave the room while he took a deep breath and hoped it was over. Over, for God's sake! Unbelievable the energy of the old bitch. Carefully lying down on the couch, his shoes still on. Half an hour later, the woman would re-enter the room sporting a totally different expression and would touch the man's forehead to see if he was asleep. If he wasn't, she'd, said, she'd say gently, I made a very good chicken noodle soup, just the way you like it. You must be starving. <laughs> Come and have some soup, dear. That's remarkable. Thank you so much. So I hate asking authors to explain things, and especially immediately after they've read um their portraits. But I want to ask you, if I may, about the form of the novel. And the form of the novel is, um, for those who, who will read it, as characters and character descriptions, and, and also as letters between mother, mothers and daughters, or a mother and a daughter. What, what made you decide to do it that way? Yeah, um... Now, it's kind of hard to remember because I wrote this novel uh, quite a while ago. Uh, I wrote it between 2013 and 2014. So um, usually when one writes a novel, one starts with a with an idea and a sort of kind of a skeleton of the novel. But then things always change, um, at least for me, they kind of develop along. So um, I think... Maybe because I started as a short story writer, um, I had this idea of each chapter. Each chapter has the name, basically, of the characters that appear in the in the chapter. So, for example, the, mm -hmm. if there's like this, uh, the chapter from which I wrote, from which I just read, is called Serioja because it's basically focused on Serioja and in his relationship with his mother, Olga. Uh, but then there are some chapters that would be titled Serioja, Irina, and Olga, um, so basically, it, this way, I kind of emphasize the interaction between the characters. And uh, uh, I don't know, I, it, it just sort of developed this way. So the novel has um, four parts, and um, each part has the name of the, um, the place where, it, uh, where it, um, the action is located. 
So there is the first part is uh, takes place in Santa Barbara, California, and then the second in Kishinev, Moldova. So Kishinev is the capital of the Republic of Moldova, mm-hmm. where my mm-hmm. characters are from, and I'm. We can talk later about the Republic sure. of Moldova. And then again, the third part is uh, in Santa Barbara. Um, actually, let me remember. Is it is the third part in Santa Barbara? <laughs> I, I think, I think it is. We can call it Northern California. No, no Cal, but I, uh, yes. I, or I get or South, well, Southern California. Southern California. Uh, yeah, the third part is in Santa Barbara again, and then the four. Oh, and then the fourth part is in it's in Santa Barbara and Chisinau. It's it's like a synthesis, and then there is an epilogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So did you did you write it Alta as short stories to begin with? I, I know you know that. No, you... no, no, uh, no. I didn't. No, I, what I meant uh, is that before before starting to write novels, I I was a short story writer. So when you start when you start as a as a short story writer, I think that influences you the way you write. Uh, novels mm-hmm. later, I think. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about the characters. So I, I would imagine you get asked about this a lot, but are these characters based on family members? Are they based on people you know? Or are they composites? How, how did you then begin to draw them? And maybe you can introduce us to who, who they are, who your main characters are in the book. So, yeah, um, so basically, so yeah, the main character is Tanya, who is a Russian Moldovan woman who um, marries this uh, Jewish California man called Sammy, and then she moves to Santa Barbara. And then there is Seryoja, who is her brother. Uh, Olga is their mother. Uh, Irina is uh, um, Tanya's teenage daughter. Um and then there are other characters. Um, so, so they are the main characters are modeled on people I knew. The funny thing is, okay, they are supposedly Russian, but in fact, they are all modeled on Romanian people that that I knew, and obviously yeah. also things that I invented. Right. Um, because what I what I intended to do is is to was to create sort of. Um, Types. I wanted to create a type that represented the the post-communist world in Eastern Europe, like a sort of a gen, not quite generic because I wanted them to have some characteristic um, ethnic characteristics too. But mm-hmm. but I wanted them to really to be a type of the post-Soviet post-communist human being that that I was familiar with from that part of the world, basically. And yeah. uh, some some of the things that Tanya says and does are modeled on things that I've seen even in like people from my own family or people that I knew. And then Serioja is modeled on, um, to some extent, on somebody that was really close to me, but I'm not going to say who. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no. Good for you. No, I'm not going to ask. But basically, they are all, uh, they are all Romanians, but uh, in, the, in the novel, they are Russian Moldovans. Yeah. I, and I, I'm interested, I, I love in the novel how you capture their for lack of a better word, I don't know the French word, but Eigenschaften would be the German word, their, their qualities and their mannerisms. And right, you know, in many ways as a satirical comedy, right down to the gesture. So, you know, how, how do the mother and daughter, let's say, exemplify um, characteristics and in, in people that you might remember and, and carry with you in your memory from the post-communist world of, of Romania or Moldova, let's say, as it's staged um, into your world California. Yeah. So, uh, how do the mother and daughter exemplify that world? I think, um, and it's 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 going to be very interesting for me to hear the impression of the readers, especially American readers, because they did not experience that world, and those types of human beings are so different than than uh, the American uh, types, let's call them. Um, so, basically. These characters and, and in general women from Eastern Europe and even not only from Eastern Europe, from other non-Western countries can be extremely powerful characters. Um, and that's paradoxical because these are societies that are much more traditional and more patriarchal than, than the Western world. And yet the women there have um, a strength that I've never encountered in women. Well, never, but in general, I don't really encounter in in women from the Western world, at least it seems to me that they are, you know, they have this very authoritative voice and very strong opinions and are not afraid at all to voice them. 
Um, so there is the sort of power about them, mm-hmm. but they also are, you know, what we might call here conservative. They are generally more traditional than than the men, actually. Um, I mean, that's a generalization, but but I think they are. Mm-hmm. And in in the relationship with men, there is always this dynamic in which. Um, again, if you were to frame it with some Western word, you might call it abusive or, you know, there's always a very yeah. conflictual yeah. type of dynamic, but that's the result of the the way they live. You know, when you live in a one bedroom or two bedroom, in a one bedroom apartment, several people, you are, you are constantly on each other's uh, nerves and you develop this very, you know, uh, torturous dynamic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, how do your characters fall in love? What is love in your story? Yeah. So, well, okay. So in, in this, yeah. So in this particular novel, because, um, yeah, love is very different in this novel uh, than in all my other works. Um, I mean, in all my other works, I treat love very seriously, but here it's, it's, it's sort of what one might call a comedy of errors. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't, I don't know. When I started this novel, that's not what I intended. My intention was to was to create to really focus on the cultural differences between these two worlds. But also, actually, when I started the novel, I, I started it as a challenge to myself because I'm generally a writer that is highly literary. And I was very curious to see if I would be able to write an entertaining novel. So mm-hmm. I gave this I gave the, I gave myself this challenge. And so this is, the, I think, the only work that I've ever even written with the intention of, you know, being sort of inter- entertaining. And and uh, I don't know. We'll see if, what the reader believes. But um, uh, oh god, I'm sorry. What was your question? <laughs> I had to ask you about love, and then we can talk about the jokes because there. I mean, you 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 have so, so many caricatures of the men. I, I mean, Sammy Seryoja you know, the, the large, you know, extended dysfunctional family and why and how the women fall in love with them. What, what, what does love mean to you, I guess, in this farce? Okay. Yes. Good. So, okay. So, well, I think there are two different questions. What does love mean to me? And then what, how is love portrayed in here? I mean, it's true that here love is portrayed in a sort of a farcical way because there is a, almost each character falls in love with somebody and that person is in love with somebody else. So there are all these triangles, um, uh, you know, like, like A loves B, B loves C, C loves D. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, um, in a way, I mean, I, I guess, you know, in an indirect way, I sort of, I sort of try to, to, to make a, to, to, to see life in this novel in the sort of a farcical way in which nobody gets what they want and everything is like a, like a comedy, you know, like life is a sort of a comedy mm-hmm. um, because this was, this is the ethos of the entire novel. And the, this goes along with the idea that all these people from Moldova who come to California, when they look at the Californians, the, the Californians mean one thing, but the Moldovans see another thing, and and the vice versa is also true because the Californians look at the Moldovans, and the Moldovans mean something, but the Californians see something else. So it's this constant misunderstanding, both culturally and and at the level of love, because even at the emotional level, you know, they yeah they are not on the same page. So nobody's yeah. on the same page, basically. Yeah, and and I'm I'm interested in the soap operatic element of this. You know, I my I host a lot of interviews, and I don't think my listeners know that I'm a great fan of soap operas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I actually am. I mean, I grew up watching Days of Our Lives and Search for Tomorrow and Santa Barbara. This is like a true confession. So I, I used to sit when I would play hooky from school, and I would watch um, Days of Our Lives, and I. Remember this moment at like 1990, 1991, I must have been a teenager when I just didn't want to go to school. I, I wanted to stay home and watch the soap opera all day because it was it was fascinating. Um, and so I can't blame you for not wanting to go to school. <laughs> it, it was a lot better than math class. Um, so, you know, I'm intrigued because I, I hear stories, of course, about this, you know, cult popularity of shows that were primetime soap operas in the United States, like Dallas, for instance. 
Oh um, yeah, or, or, or I was a huge fan of that in Romania. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know, I mean, the worst ones are the schlockish, like 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 Baywatch and stuff like that. But I mean, why Santa Barbara? And then it's it's amazing to me that you're actually you know actually end up in California in an environment like that. I mean, how did that work in Romania? What and what drew you to watching a show like? Oh, so, okay. So, um, yeah, so just for our readers, um, I mean, listeners. Uh, so Santa Barbara was this American uh, soap opera that in the States aired in the 80s. But in the in the East, in Eastern Europe and in the Soviet world, it aired um, in the early 90s. But I have to say, I never saw it because I left in 91. And this was, I think, post, uh, it was after I left. It was through a coincidence that I found out, you know, while I was revising, while I was working on the novel, that uh, this was the case. And I thought, well, I have to put that in the novel because obviously this Russian Moldovans comes to come to Santa Barbara and they had all watched this great American soap opera and they were in love with it. Because there was, especially after communism fell, there was this thirst in Eastern Europe for soap operas. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, and... They, they they watch like uh, Brazilian soap operas, uh, Tele- telenovelas, yeah, everything that you know, everything was fun. Americans, whatever. Um, so um, so uh, I I never I never actually watched it, but but then I I could imagine how all these Eastern Europeans imagine that American life is exactly as in these soap operas. And then they came to Santa Barbara and they were so disappointed that there was, you know, the real Santa Barbara was nothing like the fictional Santa Barbara they knew. So that, so um, obviously reality is always a lot more disappointing than, mm-hmm. than fiction. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, how does Tanya pick up the story, I guess, of your transition into America? I'm going to stop asking autobiographical questions and ask about the fiction so when you're writing the character of Tanya, what does she do, and especially in communicating her new American lifestyle to her mother, to adapt? And, and how well does that adaptation go? So, yeah, so speaking of uh, communicating with her mother, so the way the novel is structured, um, as I said, is written in these uh, small chapters with the name of the characters, but... There are certain chapters, uh, the chapters written in the name of um, Tanya and her daughter, Irina, they are written, these are the only chapters written in their voices because um, the characters, Tanya and then her daughter, Irina, they write these letters back home. So Tanya writes to her mother, uh, Olga, and then Irina writes to her grandmother, Olga. Mm -hmm. And uh, this way I I can give them, you know, I I, I can... uh, the novel is more direct, so the reader can actually feel what Tanya feels, and um, and what she feels is this puzzlement. Because in in the, again, we have to remind our listeners that this happens. Oh, or I don't know if we even said this. This happens in the uh, 1996 to 1997, and communism fell, as I said, in in most of Eastern Europe, 89. But in in Moldova, it took a little longer. So they were they were in the first years of the transition from communism to post-communism, and the world at the time was, you know, a very very different world. Uh, Eastern Europe was extremely different uh, than it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still very much like the the former communist uh, world. So um, so in so in these letters to her mother, Tanya, you know, just expresses also puzzlement to the new world, and this was the formula that I found to to be able to um, incorporate um, all these differences between, between the two worlds, the world mm-hmm. where I came from and the, you know, and, and the United States. What, what are some of the scenes which you say, because I, I mean, I see a lot of sketches um, and, and it's really you know, fascinating to me how you combine your short story style into a novelistic style. So, you know, as in yoga is a great place to meet women. You're going to go to a yoga class. Um, how I mean, how does Tanya fit in? I would say, you know, as as someone who's moving between cultures, what, how how does you know your character begin to see the world in her eyes and then communicate it both to her mother and and daughter? What sort of episodes um, did you have in mind when you were when you were putting together your sketches? 
Yeah, so um, basically, like in, in each of these little chapters, I, I take some aspect of the culture and I dramatize it. Like, for example, in uh, there is the chapter in which Tanya goes to yoga because she wants to meet women and she lives in California and everybody tells her, well, go to yoga and that's where you're going to meet women. And so, of course, um, you know, if when you write such a novel and you want to emphasize these cultural differences, it could be very easy to fall into ideology or, um, you know, it, it when you, you shouldn't explain things in a novel. So then the best way to do it, I think it's through some kind of a um, satire or satirical comedy, which is what I try to do. And, and in this way, um, I think, you, you know, you avoid ideology and um, things are, yeah. you also, I, I think humor, it's sort of undervalued, I think, because it's considered silly. But humor can literally um, sometimes can explain things much better than anything else because it basically shows the absurd and the fact that we can we think that you know certain things the way they are organized in a society they are natural this is how things are natural to be but then when when you look at it from the outside and this is what Tanya does in America in a certain way she's like the fool who comes from the outside she's the outsider fool but because she's the fool she can look at at the American world with different eyes and the reader through her eyes can see how certain things are a little absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, but because she herself is kind of, <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, she's not your normal typical character. Um, yeah. Hopefully yeah. that my description of America are never kind of ideological. I hope. I, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, again, I remember, you know, I took a class with Dubrovka Ugresic, who's, who's one of my favorite um, oh, really? in this vein. Yeah, at, at Harvard. And this was way back in the early 2000s. And, you know, I mean, uh-huh. she was in, invited there by Svetlana Boym, who's one of my heroes, um, the late Svetlana. I love the Bravka Ogresik. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's she's hilarious. I mean, she actually had, had us reading Have a Nice Day, which I think is another wonderful, like novelistic comedy and, and adaptation. Um, oh, speaking, excuse me, I need to tell you this. Uh, I need to brag a little. She gave... She gave a very generous endorsement for my um, first collection of short stories, Elegy for a Fabulous World. Oh, so. wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, I, you know, I was actually going to ask you, Alta, can you talk a little bit about your influences? I know you've got this, you know, on your website, but since we're in conversation, uh, either what you read in preparation to write this book or let, let's say um, out of the world of, of contemporary literature. Yeah, well, that's a question that would be kind of hard to answer because there are so many, but um, for this particular book, for, uh, I mean, the novel, The Wife Who Wasn't, um, um, there is, there are, there are two authors that have been um, sort of, I don't know of models, but that I can say that they um, influenced me. So they are these um, two Russian authors who wrote together. Uh, they wrote two or three books together and their names are Ilf and Petrov. Mm-hmm. And um, so they wrote as a couple, which obviously is rare in fiction, but it it does exist. So they wrote um, in the 1920s, so shortly after the Bolshevik Revolution, they wrote, uh, there are two famous novels by them, The Golden Calf and Twelve Chairs, which have been translated into English and which I highly recommend. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you. I haven't read them. Oh, you should read them. You would enjoy them because they are, this is what, they are satirical comedies. And they they basically write these great satires about life in the Soviet Union in the 1920s. They, it's a satire of the new communist world, but it, it, it's done in it's it's extremely. It, they are sort of picaresque novels, and mm-hmm. this novel, um, in a way, it's sort of picaresque. I, I think at some some level, and uh, it, it's I think they are hilarious. So those were and and and, and actually my character Serioja is also. Uh, aside from being modeled on Romanian men that I knew, is also modeled on the main character from Ilfen Petrov, who is Ostap Bender. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, so the, these authors are uh, have been my my models. Mm-hmm. And what what led you to write about a man who orders a bride? This is also, I guess, an autobiographical question, but oh no, actually yeah. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I'm joking with you. Um, you know, this is a question for historians. There's a lot of really great work out there um, studying the 90s and so forth. So you know, what, yeah, what, yeah, what, so, what led you to do that? 
So, well, yeah. So basically, so the 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 American character Sammy um, decides to remarry. He has a young daughter, and he's a widow. And this is the mid '90s, and he decides to remarry. And because he himself, I mean, his parents were from Moldova, he decides to uh, get a woman from there because he wants a more uh, traditional kind of woman. And because at the time there were all these uh, agencies that, um, uh, I guess, provided women from Eastern Europe and especially from Russia to um, Americans who wanted, I guess, different kinds of wives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if these agencies still exist. Probably they still exist. I don't know. But um, yeah, um, it was basically um, um, a strategic choice in the novel because it was a, a very um, present reality in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And but it's I, not not autobiographical. No, no. <laughs> I, I I'm glad you ducked that question. You did it really well. <laughs> no, it's hilarious. I mean, the sketches that that you have, Sammy seems like a really boring creature, and I don't know quite how to make the male characters exciting. Uh, how I mean, how did you do that in the novel? Uh, again, you know, there's a sort of age. Um, divide and then there's a generational divide and then there are new pairings between Anna and Bill and so forth. Um, I guess this is a question about your craft and construction. Um, I'm really curious in, in how you are aware of and then define American masculinity or American male culture, um, especially among the types, as you say, who, who take an interest in East European women. How, how did you do that? So yeah, so Sammy is uh, Tanya's husband. So yeah, it, it definitely he seems. I'm sure he seems a lot uh, very boring in comparison with uh, Tanya or with the Moldovans because the Moldovans are so um, I don't know picturesque or crazy that uh, by comparison, I suppose the Americans seem really uh, bland. And in fact, uh, and in fact, in a way, I guess this is the impression when you. Because in Eastern Europe, people are so much more excessive in so many ways, mm-hmm. um, and and again, I don't know. I'm, I would be very curious to see the reaction of the American reader uh, when um, um, seeing uh, the embodiment of these characters, mm-hmm. um, because there's definitely a difference between the Russian Moldovans and the Americans in 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 the in the types of personality that they exhibit in in the novel, and this is modeled again on on the way I, the people I knew and the way I perceive them, obviously, because it's mm-hmm. my perception. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, but because perceptions are so different, this is where I would, it would be very interesting to see the reaction of um, an Eastern European reader and an, and an American reader. Mm-hmm. And did you have in mind how to stage the excesses? There are a lot of drugs in this and there's a lot of alcohol and there's a lot of partying. Um, how, how did you do that? So, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, drugs, I think it's just, uh, you know, there's some pot because we, this is California, of course, so everybody is small, small spot. Um, and, and then, but, and then there is in, in Moldova, there is a lot of alcohol because uh, in that part of the world, people drink or at least used to drink a lot. Um, and Moldova, in fact, for a while was the world, uh, had the world record for uh, alcoholism. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't know that actually. Yeah, well, I, I, I found this out uh, during my research. But, but even without any statistics, if you live there, you you knew that. Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, a lot of there were a lot of alcoholics, and it was just common to, for everybody during communism, especially. It was extremely common to uh, to drink all the time, and uh, I have all kinds of quotes from the Soviet world about this because. It, like, like for example, the quote, uh, building communism without alcohol is like building capitalism without commercials, uh, because everybody drank in, in communism. Mm-hmm. And, and for your characters, how, how then do you resolve their habits? So I, I guess by habits, I mean, the, not just Tanya and, and her mother, but also, um, what drives the marriages forward? Because there, there is marriage 
and you know I see this in a kind of Jane Austen way, but set in in 1990s, 1996, 1997. I mean, how without asking for your spoilers, did did you think about marriage as a as a historical issue and and also let's say as as a plot device? Because there are couplings and decouplings and and pairings that I think happen in, in really unusual ways, and the reader just has to go go through to the end to find out how. But I, I guess my question is is how you how you think of marriage transplanted from Romania or Moldova into a California setting. Were there particular ways that you researched this and began to think about it for the late '90s or earlier? Yeah, well, that, that's a very good question. But, you know, I didn't need to do any research about this because I just needed to, um, you know, remember uh, people that I knew. Um, I mean, in the Western world, uh, people think of marriage as this pure act of love. Uh, but the fact in reality, our actions are never totally pure. We always think of uh, what's best for us. And in traditional societies, even arranged marriages sometimes could work. I mean, in the end, um, in the end, it's a marriage is a contract, and it's always the way people choose their partners. It's always always reflects the historical times in which they live. So in Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. there was a time when women just wanted to marry whoever they could from the Western world and just get out of. This was their ticket out of the their countries, and I know that for a while in Eastern Europe women were really desperate to um, get Western men to get out of the country. And uh, especially certain types of women who are very determined and a little cynical. And and I have to say in Eastern Europe, most people are very cynical because history has made them cynical. So these women that are, and Tanya and Irina, her daughter, are exactly these types of women, cynical and determined. And they are determined to get their American, their rich American. So that's the idea. The, The marriage is is a successful marriage is marrying a rich American. But then, of course, people still have feelings. So then there is a conflict between um, oh, yeah. feelings and uh, and what and the desire to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. Did you have in mind other writers in, in, dri- in driving and building your character? So, I mean, again, I hate to ask this, but Keith Gessen I'm thinking about, or Peter Pomerantsev, or Ulitskaya, or Steingart. Um, you know, they all have their, their way of, of building characters. Are your, are your characters, let's say, of a particular time and place? Are they of Moldova or of Romania or of California? Or could they exist someplace else? So um, I definitely, in building my characters, I definitely didn't follow any... I. I don't think I followed any contemporary uh, author in particular. As I said, I followed the, the model of Ilfan Petrov from the 1920s Russia. But mostly, basically, I just I just depicted um, a synthesis of people that I knew. And they, they are definitely ours. I mean, the Moldovans are definitely typical of a time and place, which is Eastern Europe in the 1990s. Um, yeah. As I said, I really wanted I really wanted to create a human type. And when you try to create a type that's a slightly different than an individual, you, you have to give the person, I mean, the character strong characteristics, but it has to have also a slight caricatural touch because this is how uh, readers recognize a type. It has to fall into a category. But now, of course, in order to recognize a type, you have to be familiar with it. And if you are an American, you are. how can you be familiar with an Eastern European type? So that's why... I think there will be a difference in the way these characters would be read. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how the American reader will, will react. But, and then, of course, there is the type of the, you know, Southern Californian bohemian from exactly. Santa Barbara. <laughs> That's another type, uh, you know, who, who, a type who evolved from the 1960s hippies and bohemians. And then they became these millionaires because now all the area that I talk about it's it's inhabited by millionaires it's like very rich that's where by the way it's it, it it's really more specifically it's Montecito in Santa Barbara where now um, you know Prince Harry and Meghan Markle live and they are neighbors with Oprah Winfrey and all these very rich people that's the area where the action is located in in Santa Barbara yeah. So I, in, in that sense it is specific to a time and place and and that might be 
California. I mean, I, I love Alta how you use the word magical throughout the book and, and in talking about women, you actually use the word inscrutable or such inscrutable women. There's a very funny scene toward the end. Um, and I'm thinking about the chapter where you have Sammy, Lenny, Bill, and Maria together, and you begin combining your characters in, into scenes um, in which you talk about cultural differences and communication. It's a very sort of Ionescu scene. Um, I wonder if you might, might talk about you know, this sort of elevated, almost academic way of describing cultural differences and, and how it gets almost reduced to absurdity. I, I don't know if I'm being correct about this, but um, you you do draw it down into irony and farce, and I, I think do it in a really clever way. Um, so what what are these cultural differences and, and why even in talking about it, is it, is it still miscommunicated? So uh, you, you allude here to a scene toward the end of the novel between Sammy and uh, by, by then, oh, I shouldn't reveal too much, but anyhow, it's no Sammy and another woman. Yeah, um, it's between Sammy and another woman, not Tanya, and um, and they and and you and you are very correct in comparing that scene to a scene uh, from the French Romanian uh, playwright uh, Eugène Ionesco, uh, and and you're very correct in saying that this is sort of uh, absurdist. In, indeed, this is what I wanted to create. I wrote it, the scene is written in the tradition of the absurd. And, and, and it's focused on the idea that Sammy keeps wanting, using the word communication. We're not communicating. We have to communicate. And Maria kind of answers in this very um, absurdist, UNESCO-like kind of lines. And yes, that's definitely a scene about in which I wanted to stress this cultural difference between the earnestness that Americans have to you know, communicate and then the way Eastern Europeans ap- approach uh, you know, the, the absurdist um, the, the fact that in Eastern Europe, um, life becomes sort of absurdist in a sort of a natural way, that it's part of the world there. Um, and, and that, frankly, I think that this the, the, the tradition of absurdist literature could have only been, been born in a part of the world in which life is actually absurd. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think about that in the short story or the, the excerpt that you wrote on Suryoja, Maria, and the Mop, which I think everybody should read in, in Trafica Europe that came out last spring. Um, it makes me think about what makes people give up the American dream. And I wanted to ask you that about success and failure, whether it's in hippie communities in, in California um, or elsewhere, because this is a, a very know, difficult challenge of rereading the 1990s. Um, you know, Americans may tend to think of the 90s as, as a glorious decade of, of freedom and boom. And, and for a lot of Russians and East Europeans, it's a total tragedy. Um, shock therapy and corruption and the selling out through capitalism and oligarchical clans of, of old countries and communities and cultures. So, you know, my bigger question for you is, is about return because i think um again without giving a spoiler ending you have this really interesting perspective on on migrants people who stay and then of course people who who go back and maybe you know again i'm putting words in your mouth but they're going they're going back not because they've failed but because they realize that the place is not for them Oh yeah, well, that's see, that's very interesting because you 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 put now the novel within the greater question of the migrants because in a way you can say that both Tanya and Serioja were some kind of a migrants in in America, of course. And then um, yeah, I shouldn't reveal too much, but um, yeah, I think Serioja is a very well in a way he's a special case, but in another way he's just like you know just a normal human being uh, with a um, kind of a not very necessarily abnormal story. So, um, um, yeah, he, he is a sort of a failure in a way, but in a certain way, he's also, his failure is just the failure of a normal life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, normal, I don't know normal, but, or, or rather the, the life that many, so many, many people like him in that part of the world have. And, and in the end, this is what I wanted to create. I wanted to create characters that are exemplary for that part of the world. And that's why I chose it. There is a sort of a symmetry between the uh, American characters who are educated 
and then the Moldovan characters are part of a different social class, actually, than uh, than the Americans because they are not educated. And but I I wanted this type of characters because I want I really wanted them to represent very much that that world, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and I I hope they do. I I mean I yeah. wanted both yeah. characters that are a little crazy, but also that they are just very typical for for that world. Mm-hmm. And and the relationship. Finally, you know, that you have between mothers and daughters or grandmothers and mothers and daughters to our our listeners. um, How would you how would you explain this, especially, let's say, to an American or North American audience? If if you were asked to communicate through descriptors what what that is. Hmm. Well, I mean, the relationship between mother and daughter is always complicated, no matter what culture you are from. Um, But I think in Eastern Europe, relationships are always much more direct than in Western countries, and in particular, uh, the United States, where people are, I don't know, they have different, more, the the communication is encoded, has, has, at least Mm -hmm. if you look at it from the outside, it, it seems more indirect. But Eastern Europeans are very direct in you know, they are never afraid to tell you exactly what they think. That's why they really hate political correctness, because they are the kind of people who they just tell you straight um, what they think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of this, this obviously makes the relationship with the mother and daughter um, more uh, complicated. But at the same time, um, because Tanya does, is very honest with Olga. So um, they don't hide things from each other. So there are no secrets, so in a way that makes the relationship um, easier. So, mm-hmm. and and in the relationship conversations about you know residency and visa. I mean, I, I love how you how you stage this in the novel. It's it's always there. I think in a really um, innovative way. Again, and how I mean, how I guess do you face this because migrancy and and sort of like travel could be romanticized, and yet. All of your characters, it seems, because you need a resolution at the end of the novel, have to make a choice, either to stay or to go. So, what you know, what led you to that resolution again, without giving away the the ending? Uh, yeah. So here, I think things just sort of developed. It, it just seemed that the characters were going in that direction, and. Uh, I think I think it was a sort of a natural resolution for for them, given their their nature. I think I think an, uh, an, a writer has to be very careful when one tries to emphasize cultural differences. Again, you have to be careful not to fall into ideology. Um, you know, you don't have want to try to be too symbolic. You have to give the characters their individuality. And I think in this case, the what happened. You know what happened with Tanya and Irina was their natural evolution, as in in the same way that what happened to Seryoja was his natural evolution. I, mm-hmm. I I wasn't sure exactly how to um how what solution to give to Maria at the end, but um I even that developed sort of naturally. So um I I just yeah. So then the end of the novel, the last line, which I'm not gonna say, um again had to um. It was the natural development between the the Californian and the Moldovans. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, she. It's safe to say she does find a, a life and maybe a life in in art, um, and, and creativity and and the work that she's doing. And that's where I wanted to lead you on my final question, since we're running out of time. Could you tell our listeners here at New Books Network maybe a couple of recommendations, uh, books that you're reading, translated books that you're working on, projects that you might be working on? Um, I know, I think after reading your, your book, they're going to want some suggestions. Oh, yeah. So um, I just, coincidentally, I just bought yesterday a book by somebody from that part of the world, which I highly recommend. Um uh, his name is Mikhail Yosel. He's from um, the former Soviet Union, from Russia, and he just published a book of um, short stories, "Love Like Water, Love Like Fire," which is from uh, it, which is about um, Russia under communism. So it was just published, um, 
And then I also recently got uh, American Fictionary by Dubravka Ogreshik. Oh, that's a great book. I love that book. <laughs> yeah, because I was just reading uh, some excerpts from it, and uh, it's translated from the Croatian by Celia. Um, I'm sorry, I can't see. Um, and Ellen Elias Borsak. And um, what else? Oh, and recently I read from, again, from that part of the world, but a little bit more to the south from Albania, I read The Doll by Ismail Kadare. Ah, okay. Who's a very interesting writer, um, you know, slightly different than other Eastern European writers, but uh, definitely worth reading. Um, so yeah, Mikhail Yosel, uh, Dubravka Ogreshik, and Ismail Kadare. Oh, and then the Romanian Mi- um, Mircea Cărtărescu, um, who is, um, I mean, he obviously the, the best uh, contemporary Romanian novelist. Um, he, he His uh, masterpiece, Solenoid, will be published in uh, Sean Carter's translation by Deep Vellum, I think, in 2022. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, it's not out yet, but when it comes out... Um, I definitely rec- recommend that one too. Awesome. Yeah, I, I was just um, involved. I, I heard Oksana Lutsishina's presentation of, of Ivan Phoebe, which is going to be translated from Ukrainian uh, in 2022 and published by Deep Vellum. So they, I want to give a shout out to them that they do a lot of really interesting work in translations. Um, and, and Celia Hawke's work, of course, who's, who's um, really renowned as a translator of, of Dubrovka. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, work. that's her, uh, her last name. I couldn't um, Yeah. Couldn't and so, Alta, what, are you, what do you think you might work on next, if you don't mind my asking? Well, actually, I am working on something now. I'm working on another novel, um, which is inspired by the lives of Romania's first two queens, Queen Marie and Queen Elisabetta. And um, it's, it's a sort of a hybrid novel. It's, it's, it's a sort of a postmodern historical novel because it it's written um, from the perspective of these queens from beyond the grave. So it, it links the past to the present. So, mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's been a great pleasure here. Uh, and I wanted just to mention to our listeners again that New Books Network and New Books uh, Literature, as well as New Books Eastern European Studies, that we've been speaking with Alta Ifland, whose uh, book is just out with New Europe Books 2021. It is called The Wife Who Wasn't, a novel. Uh, and it's released May 18th, right? Is that the right date? Yes, May 18th is the date. So May 18th, and, and the podcast uh, will be out very, very soon. So I just wanted to thank you so much for your time, Alta. Thanks for joining us today uh, and, and talking about life and literature and Romania and everything else in between. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. And I'm your host, Stephen Siegel on New Books Network. Until next time.